On episode 36 of the Driveline R&D podcast, Caravan showcases some of the data dashboards and web tools that our newly bolstered team of analysts are putting together. Brady breaks down a sample biomechanics report with some discussion about how to interpret biomechanics data in general. And Lindley introduces an article which looked into machine learning to predict differences in athletes' sports and playing level. A nice trip back to the old podcast with all the boys in attendance and some good biomechanics discussion. Let's get to it. Traveling on your podcast, episode 36. <laughs> this is Alex Caravan, co swag manager of baseball analytics, oh, co host no. of the RD podcast. Missed last week, so I got two course banquets to drink this podcast. <laughs> oh, Rip no. it, Lindley. Kyle Lindley, oh, RD engineer. Drinking Jack Daniels on my newly acquired single large rock. I got these from Amazon. Fire, fire addition to the uh, to the cocktail collections. So. And, and use the code R and D podcast for ten percent off. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Okay. So uh, a whole lot of things just happened at once. I'm Anthony Brady, uh, Driveline R and D um, lead biomechanist. Engineer, primary host Yo, of R and D podcast, research and drinks. So, um, I mean, first, you know, caravan, the internet, it's it's not great. You're 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 uh, you're leaking back and forth. It's it's pretty funny. Um, there's a bit of a delay on the opening. That'll be good. Also, I don't know what just happened, but I definitely just got signed out of the Zoom account. So, if if <laughs> if this meeting uh, get gets killed, that could that could be the case. But um, Hey, we're here. Episode 36, the Research and Drinks Podcast. I'm actually, um, I, I haven't told you guys this. This is the first you know. Uh, I'll be drinking green tea today because I made the very tough decision to um, be sober for the rest of October. So it was a, it was a personal choice. Um, and for you, bro, there's five days five left. Days. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. If you're not going to support me in that decision, that's like pretty messed up, but... What are we doing for Halloween, by the way? We did uh, Halloween last year. If I if I stay sober for the rest of October, so that's what that's why I'm drinking green tea. I mean, I'm trying to. Uh, I've been trying to stay off porn for all of October, so I'm right there with you. Oh okay, God. okay, that was nice. Yeah, this is good. I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> your internet definitely didn't lag during that. That's great. That's great. Yeah, so I got so, I got lemon green tea today. It definitely has nothing to do with um, the fact that I thought. I had some beers here, and I definitely don't. And there's only white claws in the fridge, and I just do not want to drink claw, white dude. claw right now. So. No laws. Yeah, definitely. Update not. on the caravan, caravan. San Jose, baby, on the home stretch. That's huge. Yo, where were you guys during the Instagram live, dude? I was on, on my uh, collecting data, probably. I was on a plane. Wait, was it last night? Uh, yesterday. So yeah, everyone was- who, everyone who likes me more than other co-hosts definitely check out our instagram 627 project officially reached as many uh followers as the driveline r&d podcast has nice um but you can follow my trek through california some crazy stuff on there and then and then dm me for the real stories nice for um for anyone who felt cheated last week uh for not not getting enough caravan in the in the podcast go go check out check out the live stream i mean how do numbers do without me i can't imagine they're great I don't know, man. I honestly have a look. Not good on YouTube. Not good on YouTube. Not good on, on YouTube. Uh, no, it's fine mm. on the listening platforms, but that's okay. 
Go, doing well. I'm listening. I'll, I'll, I'll treat. Uh, I'll treat. I'll treat the listeners. Which I'll is crazy this. because like the the picture I used for Caravan was just as fire as him yeah. being on the being on the podcast. So. Not yeah, sure surprised we didn't get more. Somebody at the very end said, "Get caravan off the podcast." Yeah, true. <laughs> Pretty ruthless. <laughs> it's like we've only had like ten YouTube live comments, and that's one of them was to just telling caravan to get off the podcast. Don't. I'll, I'll track that person down and kill him. You don't have to. I, I know him personally, so if you if you want to direct access, <laughs> you I don't can, have can to tell him out yeah. real quick. That's great. All right. Oh, yeah. Updates? What uh, episode thirty six? Caravan, on. since you haven't been on for two weeks. Uh, updates. Well, update. I mean, Outside honestly, only been working on on management. Only been working on like uh, management and really high priority black ops stuff. Unless it's not black ops anymore. Is it still black ops? Uh, let's just about. assume yeah. it's yeah. black ops before yeah, you say it, it out loud. Okay, yeah. it's black ops. Uh, so no updates from Caravan. No real updates from me either. Got some work done on the bucket stuff. We moved the office around a little bit. We have a driveline R and D, or we have an R and D office now in the in the main office space, which is cool. Yeah, Yo, you guys should talk about the bucket stuff though, because because Brady kind of filled well, didn't really fill me in. Just hit, hit one of the like uh told me that you guys moved from eighty eight to ninety, which sounds great. Yeah. And was that and, all? I think there's one other difference, at least one other main difference. Yeah, we actually and talked about it a bit today. Lindley Lindley can jump into that. Yeah, yeah. Say. So uh, this now that we have more data um for to to go off for our, our bucketing system for biomechanics and let's intro what the buckets are too okay so let's go uh the buckets are basically like we have our way to classify um deficiencies in in a thrower's motion so we can hopefully provide um effective drill prescriptions and and provide a good, a good training program that'll address their, their movement deficiencies in, in the best way possible. Um, so basically an athlete will come in, they'll do a motion capture assessment. Their data gets compared to an, a data set of um, what we call, what we basically deem elite throwers. And then based on those differences, we can prescribe certain drills um, in, a, in a more targeted training program, basically. And previously our elite throwing group was, just those who threw an average of 88 miles an hour or harder in their motion capture assessment. And we upped it now that we have more data to go off of, we uh, upped it to 90 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So uh, p- those who average 90 miles an hour or greater and also have a kinetic, basically what we call it efficiency, but it's like normalized elbow uh, joint load based on or normalized to height and weight and also velocity. So how much velocity do they, do they create per unit of normalized joint load? Um, so basically in order, or we're comparing people who come in and assess to a group of hard throwers who also do so efficiently without putting, um, an overly like out of proportion amount of stress on their, on their elbow. Um, so that's pretty exciting. It's kind yeah. of an improvement. And then the other stuff that I've been working on is just like kind of getting that process dialed so that we can make it automated um, and have that have that seamlessly part of the assessment process. Yeah. So previously we were just limited by like not having a large enough um, sample size of throwers to like have the elite data set be that elite. Um, and so now, now since like, 
I mean, it's been over a year and a half since we did the first iteration of like the buckets model for, for drill prescription um, and stuff like that. So now that, you know, we've, we've audited kind of like that round of metrics we've added in over like, I mean, I feel like in the last year and a half, do you think it's safe to say we've added in at least like 400 unique throwers into the data set? You think it's way higher than that? Or? I, I would guess more. I would guess more yeah. for sure. Yeah, I can yeah. see it being higher. Not, not in the data set we're using because of the pro- the processing changes. Right, right. Yeah. Um, That's but true. since the buckets, since the buckets started, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So now we're able to basically bump up the floor of the velo cutoff, move it from eighty eight to ninety. Um, I mean, it, ideally, one day we can just continue to move that up even higher, <clears throat> and include some sort of like kinetics um, with with efficiency. So, and we had we had like really really hard throwers we had some like upper 90s we had 100 in there right well not an yeah. average of 100 but yeah um we just oh have... you guys got my throw in there yep we <laughs> did. you guys got my throw in there yep only only your left-handed one not your right-handed one we we decided to exclude that one so yeah sorry about the bad scapper traction but yeah i mean if you can throw 100 why not do it yeah hey i mean <laughs> you're a good outlier for us you know nice. good to have it in there good to have it in there yeah, so the I mean the new cutoffs, um, like excited about that. It should be pretty good uh, with with where we're going with with the new buckets um, system, and it just makes it like it makes it more robust. Because also having more and more athletes come in that are already like upper eighties, you know, upper nineties uh, or low nineties. Hopefully that helps them get uh, you know some valuable feedback into ways that their mechanics can improve, kind of a thing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cause we have like theoretically better throwers than guys who are already good yep. or like more, more people who are still better than them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like when we had in the past done a lot of the SPM stuff and like talked about how, I mean, again, typically just out of necessity to have a big enough sample size, we set the cutoff at like 88, um, is like sort of arbitrary, but sort of just like strapped by sample size. I have to think that there were some athletes out there that were like, Oh, well, I already throw 91. Um, so, you know, am I going to get like that valuable of, of feedback from, from that like elite data set, I guess. So now that it includes a higher velocity threshold to kind of like be in that group and also factors in your kinetics, like, no, not only do you need to throw hard, but you need to throw hard efficiently. Um, and so have we made any changes to the, uh, uh, auto techno generator. No, no, that'll come. No. That'll come later. Yeah. So okay. We'll we'll make those adjustments um, later, but for now, I think setting the cutoffs is, is a pretty big piece. And actually, it'd be it'd be pretty interesting, Lindley, to see how many. Um, I mean, I guess we could just look at the numbers. How many ninety plus throwers we have that don't meet the efficiency cutoff? Mm-hmm. Um, because well, I think that's well, that's I mean, pretty could- cool. I think I have. Do you want to talk about the, what efficiency cutoff is too? That's going to be like. Yeah, uh, right now we're just calling what it is above it, what average. Is, what is it? What is a? Do we have a raw number? Um, I don't know what the raw number is. I'm guessing it's somewhere between 11 and 12 for like. Yeah, it's like 11.6, I think. Yeah. I'm I'm scroll. I'm trying to find it in Anthony and I's conversation because I could tell you how many throwers there were. And oh yeah, so, um, in the 90 plus group, we had 40 48 sessions. Uh, so 
It's like 48 different motion capture assessments and 44 different athletes above 90 miles an hour and above average uh, efficiency. Um, and the efficiency again is like 11.6. And then, uh, but we only had, we had 12 athletes that were 90 plus and also uh, a standard deviation above the average of efficiency. So just going to go um, above the mean efficiency and then above 90 mm. uh, for right now. Yeah. Well, what's the current sample of 90 plus athletes? Did you guys already mention that? Or, or do you guys have a number off the top of your head? I think it's almost 100. I guess I could look it up. I, I could look it up too off it's the like Biomec DP. 90, 93 guys over over 90 miles an hour. Okay. So and with, then 142 the, over 88. Yeah. So when we include the uh, above average efficiency, that cuts out like 40 guys in there. So almost half of them um, get kicked out so yo, yo by the way random side note random side note dude uh i mean I'm, i was thinking it's because i've been out in the sun so much but are you guys looking way paler than me or what <laughs> on the screen you guys seeing that I you was, guys see how, do you guys see how tan i am i was just in I the wouldn't sun be surprised if you're looking really tan but like uh, lindley you're uh, you're on a sun a, a, a bunch dude but you're looking really ghostly right now you're blending up that uh door behind you here, yeah. shift, shift your shift your face a little to the right, dog. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Bro, I am the door. I can the change door. the, I just see the glasses, dude. I just see the glasses on a, on a on a door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I can change, change the lighting in my room, dude. It was so cold in Idaho last day. Cold front came in. It got down to one. Oh what? Yeah. Oh. I was about to say it's yeah. pretty cold. Yeah, dude. It was <laughs> an insane <laughs> cold front. It was like 50s, 60s the whole time. And then when we went, uh, when we went back and visited, it was like. The high was like 42. And on Sunday, I think it was like the low was one and the high was 29. It was ridiculous. So cold. Me and my friends, we went we went uh, disc golfing on Friday morning at 8 a.m. around sunrise. It was 12 degrees. That's insane. I thought it was cold in Seattle. It was like Dude, 40 was when I got home last stupid. night. I don't know why we did that. Dude, it was cold in San Ardo when I crashed there on a, on a playground in, in a private school. Last Sunday, it's cold as hell, sleeping on the on the <laughs> fucking tan bark, but I didn't dangerous. complain about it. That is dangerous. That oh, is. my gosh. On that note, do you want to talk about uh, <laughs> data dashboards? I don't yeah, know yeah, I'm kind of scared about my internet, but I'll, I'll try to keep it kind of succinct. Um, but data dashboards, I think initially we were planning on maybe screen sharing this, this section, but I, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, but essentially, one of the biggest things we've done Recently, is we've really bolstered our analytics department, um, mostly with good hiring. We've had a, a few guys come on board, and we've had basically for high performance hitting and pitching, we've had respectively Anthony Osnax, Noah Thurm, and Christian Hook rebolster kind of the running KPIs and baseball ops data for each of those departments. So what that's looked like is we've all three of those guys had a lot of experience working with college teams and, and throwing up like shiny dashboards on the spot. So we just decided to play to our strengths and have essentially functional shiny dashboards for each tracking technology. And th what, what that looks like is we have like Trackman Mobile, um, Rapsodo Pitching. We have all every single metric on one technology should like also be, it should have also have a proxy, should also have a relevant proxy on the other one. And we've been like, our, our, our kind of ongoing process has been linking those to videos of people like some we have we have a public data dashboard that links to pitches of people throwing an MLB. Again, shout out to Christian Hook for that one. And now we're kind of transitioning to also having like edutronic video taken in gym that links to swing by swing metrics, pitch by pitch metrics, 
So the idea being that like any department can kind of see right away what their running KPIs are, uh, get video and tabular and visual information for each pitch or each swing or each session average. And essentially we're trying to run like a very tight feedback loop of what is the, what does the floor want? What does the floor use? And then iterate on that. So every, every kind of like every kind of week we're adding a lot of new features. Noah, for example, added like a hit probability calculator where you kind of enter an uh, exit velocity launch angle combination and then see the probability for each outcome and what that looks like on a spray chart. So just, just a lot of cool stuff. Um, and how much of it, how much of it is for like, are the athletes going to use? And then what, what things are like mostly for the trainers um, or like department managers or whatever, like, are there things that the athletes will be able to use when they're training on the floor or when they're like competing in live ABs, for example? Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's initially trainer facing, but the idea being that we, we also have leaderboards. So we are going to have like top 10 EV leaders, that kind of stuff that will give it a pretty relevant athlete facing component um, that hopefully will just like be able to spruce up competition, keep the intensity level very high, all, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it, in theory, it should be mostly trainer facing and allow like our trainers to sync that much more consistently with R&D KPIs, R&D insights and have it like be right there for people to be able to tap into. Yeah. And it's kind of nice too, uh, just with hiring and whatnot. Cause it seems like the, now it's kind of like, um, each floor department has their own like R and D assassin, uh, kind of a thing, you know, like, like, uh, the, it seems like a quicker and shorter feedback loop for, um, like additions to the tools. Like I saw on the hitting side, like someone was asking Noah to add in one of those features and, and he was able to just like do that immediately. So it's, I mean, it's pretty tight. Right. Uh, I'm super, I'm super pumped about it too. Cause I mean, it's one of the things where essentially we just had myself and Dan for a large portion of the time. And we, we were just tackling so many larger projects that it's, it's hard to prioritize just small requests that come in. Yep. Cause then if we do one, you know, then, then there's like an emphasis on doing the same, you know, it, it's, it's hard to do one 30 minute task for one trainer and then, ignore the other 11 that pop up. Right. So a lot of the, a lot of the idea there is like, we want someone that can hop on small, small requests can kind of do deep dives if a trainer wants to and can keep them all engaged because they're going to actually get their questions answered and stuff. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really cool uh, feedback loop that that's definitely gotten shrunk a lot. Um, and hopefully they're able to build, uh, build more cool stuff. I think it's pretty sick. Just seeing them so far has been dope. Yeah, but anyway, so like so to kind of uh, put a finishing uh, touch on that, the idea now is have all those dashboards be dynamic, feature all our KPIs, feature our production level output that we have on edge reports that are like you know live on track X and all that kind of stuff, so we can match essentially a big group setting or big group KPI to what we have right now for consumers and third-party clients, and also. Uh, you know, have that be dynamic as our own like KPIs change because we've had so many deprecated tools in the past that are still up there. And maybe the most, maybe traders are unengaged kind of also feel like their insights or their input don't matter when they don't go anywhere. So mm -hmm. we're, we're honestly, we, we've done like a ton in the last month to almost be already like completely there. So I'm really pumped about that. And I mean, honestly, like speaking about it on a call now, that could be something that we, try to prioritize and, and throw up on the, on the biomix side as well. I don't know what your thoughts on, on that is, but just have a matching 
have a matching uh, data dashboard and Shiny if it's still the rage. Uh, one of my biggest detriments for Shiny was I was worried it'd be hard to get all that uses on a free account because you're kind of capped and that it would like slow down as you add more functionality. Right. But I mean, all these guys use Shiny way more than me. So I think they've had like better workarounds than I would have imagined. Yeah. And it, I, we haven't really ran an issue so far. I think the the, the feedback's been really positive. Mm-hmm. And even like if it costs a couple of dollars or a couple hundred dollars, that, that that's worth it in terms of the labor and value out of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty tight. Um, I think uh, especially seeing like how fast that can actually happen um, could, could be res- pretty sweet to add that in the dashboard also want to try to with the development of the new like bucket stuff and then that reporting uh use that as kind of like an attempt for um the building it out so that it can be like reported and visualized natively inside track um so if that works then we can just move more of those into into track which could be could be pretty tight so dynamic visuals yeah get dynamic, um, be able to pull up different things, get away from like the PDF reports and whatnot. It'd be pretty fire. Especially just for like comparisons and whatnot. So also, uh, similar or like on the line of visualizing data, I just did my first, like look through a bunch of the edge reports that, that caravan, I, I already messaged him about this, but over the weekend, I was just like looking at a, at a group of uh, reports, hitting reports and, and pitching reports, and they look so sick. They look so good after like all of the formatting changes and like they're really, really easy and clear to read. And then they have like appendices and and uh, like things for, for explaining the metrics and, and how to use it and then resources to learn and everything. So I don't know, just like a side note. Awesome. And for that praise, I'm gonna put Lindley's face as a logo on the. I was just the, about to ask in the uh, bottom left corner. I was about to ask what, what do you think about the logo though? Because that is a is a very very intense part of the discussion on him. Oh, I honestly didn't pay attention. Well, well, well for the combine, for the combine, we did a a, a combine logo. Also, also, oh, really? oh, okay, yeah. Also, by the way, I know you said no. Uh, I said I know you said you weren't down to interview my uh, traveling guest, but. Um, you got to bring a beer, dude. You said brew cups. <laughs> also bring a beer. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. My, uh, yeah, so I've been traveling with Mikey. My college told me that I wasn't Mikey. That's my uh, old college roommate, Kieran, who joined us for the last week. But uh, I told them they could kind of pop in for a podcast appearance. You know, just keeping it keeping it short, keeping it professional. But Kieran's a very proficient chugger. I'll admit he's been chugging more often than me recently. But he suggested the idea of Doing a live chug on camera, mm. dude. I just poured. I just poured. I said I was drinking two beers, so I just, I just poured like these two beers in here. Just, just, just pour, pour, pour a full one in. We'll see what we got. We, we got a match. Oh, yeah. For yeah. those for those listening, um, yeah. I have I'll, no I'll idea unplug, what's I'll going on two. right now. I'll unplug two singing in. I am so. Guys, yeah. Tell them what we're doing. What are we doing? Yeah. You mean like chugging or walking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Well, okay. Hit, hit them on both. Hit a thirty-second description of how the trip's been. You're on only joined. Gotta get on camera, dude. This is <laughs> These guys can fucking walk, yeah. This homie's been walking for like 500 miles. <laughs> yep. Putting in a lot of miles. Yeah, yeah, a lot of miles. Um, they're putting me through the ring here. My feet are on fire. But I think I still got the edge in chugging, which is what we're going to do now. So, okay. do you guys, uh, Brady, do you mind, mind kind of counting us down like a 3 2 1 go? Can you also do a play by play for the listeners? I think I was Anthony? Like 
What's yeah. Up? So uh, for those listening, Caravan's about to do a Coors Banquet chug off. Um, we're getting the pours ready. It looks like. Yo, I mean, this is even you guys. We have a we have a Wisconsin University mom uh, trying to chug out chug Caravan. Okay. Yeah, I got kids. I got kids. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. So, so, so you guys want to hit a, a three, two, one, go and be like really loud and clear. Okay. Got you. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Okay. Chugging is happening. Oh, wow. Uh, Wisconsin mom just absolutely smoked caravan. Wasn't even wow. close. That was like. Even... Yeah, you started early. If anything, I think caravan started early. That was. That was wow. Watch the um, tape. No, watch the tape, dude. So for, for you anyone watch listening, the tape. Yeah, feel you're, free to go to the YouTube watch, link. Watch Caravan the, just got absolutely watch. smoked. That was like, I don't even know if Caravan actually finished his drink. So it was kind of a route. That's that's incredible. Hey, you'll get the next one, Caravan. Yeah, the next one's happening right now, dog. No. Okay, <laughs> so uh, going to the next uh, ne- next segment, we're, we're going to go over a, a biomechanics report real quick. Um, we're gonna we're gonna rotate over to that. Oh, uh, by the way, Keon threw seventy miles an hour. <laughs> oh, nice! Wow, that is almost already harder than you. It is harder than you. Yeah, no, it was, we went head to head. I whooped his ass. Oh wow! Point four miles, but that is an ass whooping. Okay, uh, we're gonna. Oh shoot! Hopefully that doesn't trip anything up. Um. So, yeah, Brady, do you want to explain? This actually kind of fire because we got a guest live. Do you want to kind of explain what, what you're what you're showing? Yeah. So uh, we were just going to go over um, a biomechanics report for this episode, like a breakdown, talk more. Especially, it kind of works out well too <laughs> because we're starting to talk about the uh, new bucket stuff for like after they get uh, analyzed, how kind of like drills are prescribed, the reporting, and what goes into that. And I think. This is like a good instance of this is actually an athlete that Matt or fit the cutoffs that Lindley and I were just talking about. So through above 90 miles an hour and with above average efficiency. So yeah. already like uh, one of the, what'd you say? 43 or 46 athletes in that data set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and then it's also just going to be able to highlight and show things that line up well um, with what the new version of the buckets is going to look like in terms of like metrics and um, markers for kind of like important. So um, this is, this is just the athlete throwing uh, following the biomechanical assessment. This is like the 3d visual that gets recreated um, of them throwing. We have all their throws. This person was 93, uh, 93.1 and 91.9. So above the, the 90 mile an hour cutoff. And then as far as the report goes, though, um, I, I just wanted to, like, highlight a couple of the main things and, you know, something that I think we've, we've talked about somewhat, but I do think it's just, like, an important part of the, the process that we do. Like, looking at uh, arm kinematics and uh, kinematic positions, when we have the biomechanics report, we overlay their signal and how they move um, onto these graphs on top of the elite normative range. So when we update the new bucket system, that normative range is going to change to those 
harder throwers that are more efficient. So, I mean, so, you can already tell right now that like this thrower is in that elite range um, most of the time with, with how he moves. Right. So in for for elbow flexion specifically, there's uh, like this would indicate that maybe there's room to get more elbow flexion here. But in terms of like shoulder horizontal abduction, he creates more than enough um, to be well within that range and even above average, uh, higher than some. And then shoulder rotation, another example of, uh, you know, being inside that elite range that, that we'd want to see. So and, the, the gray air, the gray air is the mean plus it's plus or minus standard deviation, right? Of the, of the main like measurement for, for the, have you, guys noticed, have you guys noticed yeah. the bands getting fatter at all as we continue to update them or have they still stayed kind of, kind of large? I mean, like obviously elbow flexion is pretty, pretty wide. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think these have been I don't think these have been updated since the first iteration of it. Oh, oh, it's not it's not a dynamic it's not a dynamic uh, update. No, because these are um, this data set is like hard coded into the processing pipeline. Oh, I thought it was dynamic. No, I mean we definitely want to do that. If we wanted to do dynamic, we would have to do it outside of Visual 3D. We'd have to do it like in something else for for processing, which is what we'd want to do with what we were talking about with like native visuals and track or something. That's like, oh, yeah, 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 definitely what so, we. So, so Bjorn, Bjorn has asked, uh, which I think I've prompted you before, but on the on the vertical lines, that's a, uh, you know, max external rotation, ball release, and foot blend. Do you, you want to kind of briefly, j just reskim over that? Oh yeah. So at each point in the throw, uh, these are just like the events. So we can skip to those two. Um, it's kind of like, in order to assess, uh, movement or like biomechanics at discrete points in time you need like a few things that everyone does throughout the throw. So like everyone's front foot hits the ground at some point, we call that foot plant. Everyone achieves like max hip shoulder separation, that's max hip shoulder separation, and then max external rotation. So those are like the primary events and we can like pull those up here and go to exactly where we are. And those are kind of like how we would compare person to person uh, what they look like at that event. So that's what those lines are. Um, to kind of like help you see, okay, this is where you are at that point. And then from there, we can take like other reports and uh, compare those metrics. So like even on here, this tabular data is showing, you know, the foot plant averages for this athlete, which are, those would be values that we would pull and then compare to uh, the rest of the database to kind of like see um, how do they move or where are they at that specific point in time. That's how we originally did like, all biomechanics and I think it's our largest improvement in terms of working with the data is getting away from that and moving more towards um, like full signal analyses and less looking just looking a lot less at like those POIs um, because they're just like not not as helpful is, is there anything on that uh, on in the are you moving on to the midsection at all um, yeah yeah I was gonna go on down there is there anything in the upper, like the arm action page right here uh, with the tabular data and the signals there that you would like potentially the store could maybe do better or like um, something that we might pay attention to going forward, like in training? Yeah, I would say, I would say elbow flexion is pretty low for someone that throws uh, so hard, like elbow flexion at foot plant. And I think that was shown in the graphs, right? Like most, most hard throwers have a way more constrained arm action. Like they are creating elbow flexion a lot earlier, staying 
more flexed and more constrained um, prior to ball release. While like this athlete instead doesn't like gets inside 90, but gets inside 90 really late. Um, like a lot of people get back into scap retraction and they're already at 90 degrees of elbow flexion or even more so. Um, but like this athlete kind of almost does like a chest fly, right? Like doesn't even really get that much elbow flexion and is still able to get into a ton of scap retraction. So like that would be uh, one thing that I think is worth pointing out, but I also wouldn't be too worried about it because he's able to create so much scap retraction. Like as long as he's doing this, um, as long as he's creating that scap retraction, the elbow flexion isn't really that big of like an issue or something I'd worry about too much, you know? Do you guys think do you guys think you're planning at all to change up any of the actual kinematic positions or are you guys are we pretty set on having elbow flexion, shoulder horizontal abduction, shoulder abduction and shoulder rotation being the big four going forward? Um, given given some of the work on the buckets and some of the hierarchical system that we've talked about. Oh no, um yeah, shoulder I, I don't think shoulder abduction's in there at all. Um, it might be like a secondary metric. I believe elbow flexion at foot plant is, um, elbow extension, angular velocity to shoulder horizontal abduction, I think is still like the highest performer in terms of like, uh, correlations to velocity. And as for shoulder rotation, I think max external rotation is like the, the main big one. Um, so there are some changes. I think more of the changes though are in the, uh, lower half related metrics, like, Specifically, torso and, and pelvis positions. Those ones are those ones are probably changing. I got a question. This this time interval that's shown, um, like, what's the standard deviation on it for different people? Is it pretty much always the same, or what? Yeah, it's yeah, pretty. We, we, we've talked about it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty similar, uh, person to person, but all of this is normalized uh, for between like those events for each one. So it's like rubber banded out. It's kind of tough though. Like it can't be that different between people just because our cameras like simply don't sample at a high enough sample rate for there to be like tons of uh, um, variance there. But uh, typically like the pitching cycle is is more or less the same for, for a lot of people. I think at the elite it's level also, it gets a little faster. That's also an update that we made uh, to the new bucket system where we're not so previously when we exported the full signal the full time series uh data we would have it exported all all of them would be at the same length so they would be it would be easy to compare afterwards but now we're ha we're going to do that after it's exported from visual 3d so we're exporting it all at its actual uh length of time so every athlete if somebody takes um 50 milliseconds to get through uh, foot plant to ball release or whatever the time is. And one of them takes 75 milliseconds, then those are going to stay at those time. So it's like time periods basically. And then we're going to compare or like change those if we have to afterwards, because that allows us to compare different um, pitching cycle durations, as opposed to now, if we were to try to do that with full signal analysis, we would not be able to do that because it's already normalized by the time we have the data available to us for analysis. So that's something that Caravan and I have talked about validating uh, potentially somehow because yeah. there's different ways to normalize the signals. You can normalize to events. You can normalize to peaks and troughs. You can normalize to endpoints. So um, that's something that we want to like try and validate to make sure that comparing people's positions and biomechanics at certain events throughout the throw or however we do it and however we standardize it between people is actually a, a valid way to compare, compare between athletes. 
Yeah. Is it always at least linearly normalized or even sometimes not? It's always linear. Actually, the it uses uses a cubic function to interpolate between time points. Um, I don't know if that's what you're referring to. Uh, like if we need to lengthen it or uh, like interpolate it, it would always be done with a cubic function. Um, but I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of Winley's favorite words is interpolate. Interpolate? Yeah, he loves it. That's, that's, that's just not true. <laughs> Caravan <laughs> thinks he taught me interpolate. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point, though, about the um, pitching cycles because, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're exporting this in the raw way now instead of, like, interpolating before and exporting because, I mean, there is a good argument that, like, the pitching cycle – could be more valuable if it's like defined at different events, right? In, ter in yeah. terms of like comparing between athletes. So that like exporting the raw data at least gives us the opportunity to kind of like mess with that at some point in time later. Have you guys messed around at all with the, um, the data structure like from the DB? Oh, should I set it up like a week ago or, or not really? I haven't had time. No. no, cause I think it should be that should be fine for like a very long time because it's all just like, yeah, right. right, right. Data. Um, and now we'll be able to manipulate it. Um, like we'll be able to manipulate it like on our own without having to like overhaul the database. So yeah. Right. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be pretty big. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Quick, 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 quick database tip for people out there. If your database columns are too long and you're making a database structure, just switch to long text. Cause our, our, uh, our JSON array was so long, it like initially failed and I had to switch to, I thought it'd be fine to do the MySQL database type. I thought it'd be fine to sign into a JSON, but I had to switch to long text. So if you know what I'm talking about, look up long text. If you don't, don't worry about it. Long text. Good to know. Good to know. As far as the, as far as like this guy's uh, report goes though, everything with like torso lower half, um, again, you can see is like, well within normative ranges uh, for elite and like a good uh, good candidate to be included in that, that data set um, for the newly defined like elite averages. Um, like generally just moves well, uh, hits a lot of the things that, that we would look for um, with the way like lower half and upper half moves. But as far as, far as showing the report, that was the main thing I wanted to just like point out again, how we use that um, in the reporting to help like show athletes, you know, this is how you move relative to like the others that are the, you know, the best in our data set. And then going forward as like we add more throwers that continue to throw hard and very efficiently that like those normative ranges and those like data sets will like get updated um, as it goes. So what do you, what do you think raw? So I mean, Kieran, Kieran doesn't know; it doesn't have much of a background in in, in baseball, but uh, he's getting his PhD in math, and uh, for, you know, for for my for my worth, is the uh, smartest person I know. So, what do, what do you think on the raw, your raw impression of the reports? Just in terms of like, what what do you think would be confusing athletes? What do you think? Uh, what, what do you think was like? If anything jumps out as like unclear, any 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 other raw th thoughts? I mean, I can't speak to what's confusing to the athletes. I mean, to me, the main, obviously, the confusing thing is just, like, the, the lingo and, like, yeah. how the axes are labeled and whatnot because I just don't know, like, the 
the acronyms and whatnot, but I mean, like basic tip is just like have your stuff clearly labeled. I don't know. <laughs> like have the, you know, like make sure they know what the gray area is and like, uh, like maybe put as much, I guess, put as much info as you can on it. Like how, how much data the gray area has been, has been like accumulated from and maybe the average line in it would be, would be nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. That'd be a good point. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, cause I know, I know obviously we just talked about it a couple minutes ago, but with the new edge reports, we've put like a lot of emphasis on, uh, you know, explanation on the actual reports. Yeah. That could be an interesting, and I don't know the process. I know, I know Joe has, has revamped the reports a bit in the past, but yeah. that could be a, uh, that could, that could be a nice addition. And obviously you guys are active athletes. We might know better. Yeah. We'd obviously know better than us. Yeah, no, I don't even, I, I, I mean, I think we've, uh, like Joe and I have talked to this. And I know I've talked to Lindley about it too. Um, I think we, we talked about it actually. It was like the last segment on last week's podcast about like the future of biomechanics and baseball and like overhauling <laughs> reporting, yeah. like reporting and visuals are in my mind, I think like a big area for us uh, that could change. So a lot of that like ideally happens outside of visual 3d. Like we get away from the PDF reports. We do some sort of like, interactive visuals um elsewhere where uh you know like the tabular data and the graphs like not a lot of athletes are going to know how to understand this no matter how hard like we describe this um they're just like athletes that aren't going to understand like tabular data or time series data uh and when it's graphed so i think there will just be like more effective ways to report that um when you show them the visual of like them moving, like this is easy to understand for, for anyone. But then when you try to show that in a graph, it's just like kind of complicated. Um, so the more that we can like pair those together, like even if these are side by side, like you have the thrower and then the graph moving simultaneously, which you can do in visual 3d, which is like great, but you can't do outside of, um, that that's kind of like an issue there. Like, here in Visual 3D, we can pull up like the skeleton right. moving yeah. and pull up like a specific metric uh, and graph that on the side to kind of like show how it moves um, throughout, right? This is like really easy and really helpful to understand mm. point by point, much easier than showing someone just this graph and them trying to understand where like the thrower is in time and space, right? Worth brought it up in a, in a conversation one time. I remember like if we could have like take that elite basically like normative range and then create like the average throw of the, of the hard throwers yeah, and then make like, so we could have the skeleton throwing with those like average metrics yeah. and then, so they could just be like overlaid or whatever. Yeah. Would be, so should we do average though? Or should we do like mode? You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. I almost like fear like doing an average would be, non-representative of the the elite actually the elite thrower yeah it'd be it'd be interesting to see um trying to trying to test that out what that would like even look like um yeah i don't know i like i honestly don't even know what that would like look like i guess what we could do in the interim instead of trying to like build that thrower is just like find the like take the either take the mode or the well, i guess what we do is we would just like take the average of the data set and run everyone through it and the person with like the least amount of variance from that uh we, we could just pick like cherry pick that um graphic of them throwing and and display that like most of the time you know 
But mm-hmm. that's kind of tough just because then you're like comparing everyone to one person and you get away from the idea of like, um, you can be highly individual when you throw, like you can move very dynamically and differently from other people and be like effective kind of a thing. And scaling by the anthropometrics too, like having, like it wouldn't be super effective having a six, five dude. Oh like yeah. That's a good overlaid point. on a five ten or whatever the, whatever the difference. Yeah. Might be. Yeah. That's a good point. You'd probably have to like throw out a bunch of, uh, outlier heights and weights. Um, yeah it's going to look really weird i think if you did it with joint centers though it could be could be pretty effective yeah you could you could eliminate like the weight issue if you just did joint centers but the height issue is going to be a problem <laughs> Every, mm-hmm. those limbs are going to get weird sbm blog part two baby part three, <laughs> part three. oh oh you're talking about the height comparisons yeah yeah nice. yeah, yeah 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 which is like Shameless a full analysis of like tall throwers v short throwers uh for throwing hard v throwing soft that's Yo, all i got, got though on the, uh, on the biomic report going over it what's up no, i'm saying what, what we got next dog speaking of joint centers uh we're gonna discuss this article that came out a few weeks ago um about machine learning and and using that on on motion capture data sets uh, it's called machine learning and deep neural network architectures for 3d motion capture data sets. Um, this was actually just going through it again today. Saw it was collected by Modis before we acquired them. Yeah. Modis super, yeah. Yeah. Um, super interesting, but basically I don't want to get super far into it. Uh, we'll have a link in the description for those who are super interested in reading, reading the specifics and everything. Um, and like, Kevin could probably could probably like get into this a lot more than I would be comfortable talking about it just because he knows um, a lot more about machine learning than I do and neural networks. But uh, basically it, this, this group or this like project, they took some uh, non-skill specific motion capture data. Um, for example, a drop jump bird dog, uh, a hop down on both sides, a lunge, a step down, um, or and a couple other like balance and stability exercises uh, for motion capture. And they tried to do some uh, characterization for um, like, so basically they collected, uh, how many people was it? It was like 400. Yeah, of a bunch of different, different sports. Oh yeah, I think uh, it was like six or seven sports. At yeah. Three or four levels of play. Yeah, yeah. So 416 athletes um, from basketball, baseball, soccer, golf. Are you not trying to screen share? Uh, you're just I mean, going to talk about it. It's honestly just Yeah, text. we're just going to discuss. There's not very many. There was one visual, but it's just like pretty pretty involved. Um, they used a 120 hertz motion capture system, optical motion capture system. Um, and 120... Uh, about 120 or 130 basketball athletes, 80 baseball athletes, 60 soccer athletes, 60 golf athletes, uh, football, and then a, a few other sports, track, track and field, tennis, lacrosse. And they basically like tried to figure out just by making a model and or using the biomechanics data um, and making a model, could they identify playing level? Could they identify sport? And then what was the, what was the circus? Uh, so predicting level what was the sample size? 400 total. Um, 
I think only a couple hundred of them did all of the exercises. So they had to do a different model and different characterization for each of the, I don't believe they did this like a, they didn't use all 13. There were 13 functional movement screens, basically. Um, well, we'll with, of, uh, sample size with cross plane level to, to give an idea of the um, population. Well, well, cross plane level. I'm not, I'm not sure on that. A hundred, 148 pro. 120 college and then 150 amateur. So they were pretty even. Okay. Um, and so they, they used a couple different, a couple different types of machine learning models, um, which like, that's the part that I don't like super, super know or, or know super well. Um, but Name basically, them, baby. <laughs> um, is it, P- PCA principal component analysis. Yeah. Um, what was the support was the vector machines? A linear, a linear. What is it? Linear discriminant uh, linear regression analysis. Dog, you don't know what a linear regression is. Linear <laughs> linear discriminant analysis. Yeah, 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 yeah that's it. <laughs> so, not that I know what those those are at all, uh, but basically, using using this data to create those models. Um, they were able to identify uh, decently, reliably uh, the playing level, or so like in de- in increasing order of performance, predicting athlete level and which sport they play was the was the least successful, I believe, and then predicting the level of the athlete was the next successful, and then predicting uh, sport showed quote unquote promising preliminary results uh, with tuned tuned classifiers. So. It seems uh, like predicting the, the the type of sport that the athlete played just based on their functional movement screen um, was the was the most promising, and the tuned um, per, outperformed a naive a naive model or classifier. So, which is which is cool. And like, I don't know. Do I don't know. To drop? <laughs> How much it outperformed by? No, no, I don't. It's I, th- I think. Um, Doc, what you hiding, dude? Hmm. Be real with us, dude. What you hiding, bro? 58.75%. Uh, Doc, is this a real article or are you just making, <laughs> You're just making shit up, Doc? Is this a real article? Screen share this, Doc. I don't Motus, believe you. Motus, so, Motus Global article. So the best the best classifier uh, was a 58.75% accuracy. And the best, uh, and that was for the tuned. And then the naive, I believe, um was a 30 percent so basically doubled the performance um of the model and i assume that the the tuning is like basically adjusting parameters and adjusting how the the model uses uses the biomechanics data input um to to make predictions is it and is that like a usually manual process caravan so like you you you, nah usually usually i mean it depends what system you're kind of using but usually like they'll do a grid search um where you like grid search across a bunch of parameters and then kind of hyper tune based off that. Like you, you zone in, you can choose like a 10 by 10 grid say. And then once you hit like, uh, like, uh, I mean, especially with neural nets, yeah, you'll just back propagate. So once you realize like which one is kind of lowering the error the best, and then you can like focus on that one and do another 10 by 10 grid. It, it's a lot of, a lot of like the manual part is using the setup. Like how do you want to set the grid search and how like, how, how like naive or cause sometimes they'll, basically there's a learning rate parameter as well that you want to set of like how quickly it starts like gearing towards that parameter. Uh, and then you can, if you make the learning rate like really small or really big, it might like converge much faster. 
So, so in, in, in that, uh, that aspect is like knowing the data and being able to tell kind of like what, what a reliably choose, but yeah, as you were, go ahead. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I don't really know what the, the applicability of this is and it's like, it's, it's really exciting. Um, obviously didn't get into like what when types it of, what it came out, I think in, uh, August. Let's say. What year dog? It was this year. Was this oh, year. this year. I said a oh, couple really? months ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. It was September oh, September thirteenth of this year. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yep. So it's um, yeah, just over a month just over a month old. I thought the like I mean the really promising stuff is um just like how effective it was for um just using like the general functional movement screen kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like uh being able to pair, you know, like non sport related movements to the I guess like actual athletes and find like identifiable uh identifiable like movement differences and within uh like playing level from a from a movement screen um it's really interesting because that goes against like how i would commonly you know like think of that or at least like how i've been thinking about movement screens um as of late because it might be like a good like a good representation of your athletic yeah. ability not necessarily your skill yeah i've been, I've been pretty out on just like non-context like specific movement screens uh mm-hmm. but i mean this is this is like pretty you know like valuable information if there is actually like some specific identifiers where more elite athletes within their sport move in a specific way outside of their like movement you know uh specific context that's like pretty pretty uh like crazy findings that that could be like really valuable for a more more effective um like movement screen or something like that you know that's pretty cool yeah so i don't know what the it's exciting that we're using new techniques to evaluate this stuff and Mm -hmm. and like you said it's cool that we could find differences and and like like applied differences from a non-applied movement screen but it's still just pretty like it's not like we would be able to take this and and run with it as like an assessment tool for for like pitchers or whatever you know like we're still we're we're detecting um, playing level for like sixty percent at six percent six percent accuracy or whatever whatever the number right. is, but like how are we going to be able to use that for for like what uh, Tommy needs in his like throwing motion or right. whatever you know um, yeah yo who's Tommy <laughs> Tommy John like, this is character I made up in my brain but it does oh, it does I, at least give the argument that like we should at least like explore that or or you know test yeah. them out which i think is like you know i've been pretty uh, i've been like more hesitant on in the past but it's like okay it's definitely worth like at least um and i bet there's like room to improve cuz they were just using like the basic uh functional movement screen like you get i bet it gets much better if you find um more like sport specific or sport movement specific like movements to have in the movement screen, you know, as opposed to just using like notion bird dog or, or whatever uh, they're using that kind of a thing. And some, uh, some of them were just like balance tests too. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it was very surprising to me that a balance test is going to provide you very much information at all for like, yep. uh, like, like which sport you're playing. Yeah. You this, the specific activities were just a note them were, were drop jumps, bird dogs, left and right hop downs, L hops, lunges step downs and then the t-balance um the, i don't know if we want to do a whole section on it right now maybe just mentioning that'd be cool to talk about next podcast but i was going to say the modus jump stuff we're doing um 
I actually don't know yet that much about yet because I haven't gone to your request yet, Lindley. But like that could be a very interesting sort of assessment that we could also maybe factor in yeah. a, a project here similarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's sure. a, that's another thing too. Like, because um, if this is done with uh, you know like mocap cameras and, and mocap stuff, I mean, we do have the high performance lab, so there's definitely opportunity for like uh, like mocap data a functional movement screen in the high performance lab but it'd be even interesting too to see like how effective those like machine learning techniques would be with like sensor data for some type of movement screen or or a camera you know and just like single camera video um uh data so the the further the quicker that we can like regress to you know not having to use like a big mocap lab the the better especially mm-hmm. for like um mobile mobile assessments online training i think there's a lot of potential there also same goes for with modus so like if you're using modus uh the for or if you're using modus throw you can input the velocities so like if you were to be throwing with the modus sensor um for uh, like a bunch of weeks for a bunch of different workouts and whatever and we could somehow like train a model to predict like based on the four main modus metrics are we able to predict somebody's velocity or velocity changes or how, or like predict, um, I guess we could like factor workload in there as well, instead of just the discrete metrics. Mm. But that data is very plentiful because you just like, you're throwing every day. You can wear the sensor when like all the time. Um, so there's, I feel like there's some good potential there, especially since we're, you know, as I say, it's a really easy way to mass like a lot of data points longitudinally as well, which is one thing we've talked about a bunch in house. Uh, always being like a limit, like you know, big big limiting factor on too too thorough of uh, analyses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Modus two, two, Modus uh, jump stuff uh, maybe next week.